DJ and PK brought to you in part by T-Mobile. Time to welcome in David Nixon, former BYU TV football analyst and former Cougar linebacker. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. TJ, what's going on? Well... PK wants to hit you up. I mean, we could we could tap dance around it, but PK, tell them what you're looking for. Man, I saw Balderson's going to be joining Hidden Valley. It's only a matter of time before the three of us are playing golf over there, right? Let's go. You know, I'm uh, I'm ready. I, I let him join. I, I'm still a member up in Park City at a couple spots, so I've, I've got to let those run out, and I'll come down to the valley and join you guys. <laughs> a couple <laughs> spots. Well, somebody's crushing it. That was a nice humble brag right there. Well, he made NFL listen, money. It, it, it's, it's uh, you know, we work some deals here and there, and I, I got hooked up. That <laughs> <laughs> oh, that a kid. <laughs> oh, that is classic. All right, let's get to the football, shall we? It's the Cougars and the Cougars. I watched one Houston football game, well, because that's all they played, because they had so many games canceled. Uh, you know, one school had a problem, another school had a problem, and turned out they were all playing Houston. So they played this one game with Tulane where for 20 minutes they look awful, and then for 40 minutes, they look great. The 20 minutes, they just kind of write off to, well, you're playing your first game, and they're playing a fourth, and you're nervous, and, you know, whatever. And then for 40 minutes, okay, they got a lot of team speed, but they were thrashing Tulane so badly in those final 40 minutes that they didn't really know what to make of it and to draw any conclusions. Is there something you could say about Houston? Because you've watched a ton of film over your career, and you know this for a fact. Yeah, I, I would say, obviously, team speed. Stevenson, the wide receiver that returned to kickoff for a touchdown, has got bona fide, real top-end type speed. Uh, and as a receiver, he also got a deep post for a touchdown. So, um, I, no question, this will be, speed-wise, the toughest opponent BYU's faced all season. Um, and then offensively, they listen, they have shown they have five turnovers, right? I mean, they, they've shown that they can cough the ball up. And so, if BYU wants to win on the road, they've got to be opportunistic and, and find a way to create some turnovers and uh, get the ball back in Zach's hands. But um, I, I think listen, this, it's just a match. There's no question it's the biggest matchup for BYU. And I think BYU players are, are pretty excited about it, um, pretty locked in on it. Uh, but, uh, you know, you throw in the fact that now Houston will have some fans, right? I think they're 25% capacity. So I think that'll be fun for the BYU players because I've heard that a lot of the kids' parents will be traveling down there to finally watch their kid for the first time this season. We're five games in. They'll be able to watch their kids play. So they'll be able to play for us and family. Uh, but when you look at the matchup itself, um, it, it's, it's obviously a pretty exciting matchup. And like you said, we only have one game of film on them. Uh, but this is, a, this is a Houston team that uh, always gets a lot of talent. Having grown up in Texas, uh, you know, you, the main kids, the four or five-star recruits all went to uh, Texas and Texas A&M. Uh, and then you get Houston and, and TCU uh, and all those schools would kind of pick up the scraps. And – um, and so a lot of the kids from Houston, obviously, you know, if they don't get into one of the bigger schools, they often stay home and play close. And so there's no doubt that they've got a lot of talent there. Uh, but I think the one thing that jumps out from film is that they're maybe a little bit undisciplined. And so there's a way to kind of capitalize on that. And that's trying to create some turnovers. Back when all you guys, I'm speaking to TCU and Utah and BYU were in the Mountain West, there was a big game that, uh, TCU and Utah were playing on Thursday night. I think it might have been in the 08 season 
when BYU-Utah had its undefeated Sugar Bowl season. So I'm up there covering the game, and they have those long, they print out the big sheets of rosters, and I'm looking at TCU's roster, and I, and I went through it, and if I remember correctly, out of their entire roster, which wasn't just their travel roster, it was their whole roster that they had, and so there's a 100-some kids on it, and I think I literally counted five, four or five that weren't from Texas, and I think they were from Louisiana. And I meant to ask you this about last week, too, with the UTSA, because that's a newer program. I don't, they weren't playing Division One football when you were growing up, but they are now. My point is, isn't there enough talent? You talk about those scraps that don't go to Texas or don't go to A&M, whatever it might be, but yet there's still enough talent in that state that produces high school football. They may be a little bit undersized, whatever might be the reason. I'm not sure. You know, in Texas and A&M can't take everybody. But the point being, there is a ton of high school talent in the state of Texas. Yeah, no doubt. I remember when I got recruited uh, to, to come play at BYU, uh, Brian Mitchell was the one recruiting me. And when he came to my house, he, he guaranteed me at one point that I'd be starting my freshman year. And I kind of just rolled my eyes and thought that was coach speak. But he went on to say, he goes, no, oh, listen, Texas football is the closest you get to college football. I mean, you're, you're, you're well-groomed, you're well-prepared, uh, at the high school level here. And so the transition to college football is that much easier. Um, and, and I think that shows with just the talent because week in, week out, Texas, you do play you know, kids that are all going D1 all over the country. And the majority of them do stay there in Texas. Uh, you look at, I mean, you look at even Texas and Texas A&M's rosters, the majority of the kids are, are there locally. Yeah, they'll pick off the kids from Arizona or California once in a while, but I think the majority of them are, are from Texas. So, yeah, ton, ton of talent there. And it's, uh, like I said, week, week in, week out, you're playing the best talent. And so I think it prepares you pretty well for that next level. Um, but if you're Houston and TCU, SMU, I mean, and now, like you said, UTSA, Texas State, all these schools, there's plenty of guys to pick off from. Uh, and, and frankly, as we know, those kids, a lot of those kids that go to Houston and SMU and, and the schools that aren't in the Big 12, like, like uh, TCU and, and Texas Tech, a lot of those kids have chip on their shoulders. And, and they feel like they should have gone to those bigger schools that got looked over. And so they come out with that chip on their shoulder and they tend to be uh, work harder and, and maybe play a little harder. So... Uh, like I said, if you can find the right kids, you can put together a pretty solid program with, with what, you know, quote-unquote the scraps, the leftovers uh, from the kids that get looked over from the big schools. So not to get hung up on Texas recruiting, but I've always been intrigued by this, and since you're from Texas, there are uh, – and, and the Texas population has grown so much that it's now California 1, Texas 2 in terms of population in the country. So there are just more kids. But is there also a cultural thing that if you're a good athlete, you gravitate to football in Texas as opposed to other sports? I mean, basketball, baseball, track, wrestling, or whatever. Uh, but do more of the best athletes gravitate to football because it's such a big deal there? I think the difference between Texas and Utah and maybe the other states is yes, just that every single kid at least tests the water of football. So they're all going to start in junior high, or I mean, they, they start some in Pee Wee, but I think every single one plays junior high football, and then it starts to kind of get weeded out from there. I mean, the, the, the kids will, if they're not that great, will then find another sport to play. And they still play a lot of sports. I mean, I, I grew up, I played basketball throughout high school as well. Um, and, and there's a lot of kids that play baseball or whatever it may be. But I think the difference is everybody at least tries football because there is kind of that, that peer pressure, uh, you know, growing up to, to try to be a football player, right? 
Um, and so it, it is interesting. But, uh, of course, a lot of those guys don't make it, don't hack it, and so they go focus on something else. Uh, but, uh, you know, once again, the, 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 the main big athletes at least take a crack and, and typically stick with it if, if it's something that they're excelling in. So uh, I would say that that's, that's probably the big difference between Texas and, and elsewhere. So we saw the first three games for the Cougars couldn't have gone better, really. I mean, they just smoked everybody. And the fourth game wasn't as easy, obviously. Did you see anything in that game that would cause you concern? You know, I have gone back and looked at this film. Um, Not really. I I think the team finally hit a little bit of adversity. I I personally think that if Neil Powell doesn't fumble the ball in that eight-yard line going in on the first drive, I think BYU wins by 21-plus in this game. I think what happens is then you score, the emotions are high on BYU's sideline, and they kind of ride that. Uh, having been in the stadium and, and watching their body language after that fumble, I think everyone got a little down. And, of course, UTSA didn't score the next drive, but they moved the ball. Um, and I think everyone started to kind of – I don't know. The, the, the air was kind of taken out of the, of the sideline of the stadium. So um, I think the game would have been a little different. Obviously it wasn't, and, and BYU struggled to – to kind of put up points and, and really create anything. And you listen to the post-game interviews, they just never got in a rhythm. And I think that was the most frustrating part offensively. They still moved the ball well. You look at Zach's numbers, um, and he still had a really efficient night. Uh, but at, ultimately, they just couldn't put points up. They couldn't get any type of rhythm. Uh, and then defensively, the change of the quarterback from Harris and Narcisse was huge. And Narcisse just really picked apart this BYU defense. And looking back on the film there, uh, there's a lot of, once again, a lot of bad angles uh, from safeties, from backers from everybody in the, in the past game, uh, and and just kind of tough zone coverage. They, they didn't play a lot of great zone coverage on the back end. So that's something that obviously got to clean up uh, going into this week because, like I said, Houston, their whole uh, main objective is to get behind the defense, and they're trying to take the lid off the defense. They're going to stretch it vertically and find ways to pick you apart. So uh, BYU better be ready because, like I said, they're facing speed they haven't seen all this year. And they're going to need to make sure that their safety stay on top. Backers got to get depth in their drops. Um, and they've got to find a way to, to stop this prolific Houston offense that we've seen through one game, really. So <clears throat> making the best out of a bad situation and, you know, trying to find the silver lining, is this just a huge, that fourth game, a huge wake-up call? And will there be a much more focused, sharper team? Or do you think they're going to be playing – with a piano on their back next uh, or Friday night? <laughs> I think it's a wake-up call. I, I think this team needs to face a little bit of adversity. And you guys have probably seen the stats through Kalani, uh, Kalani Stockton's era that he was something like, I think, 3-8 and eight going into this game. So now 4-8 and eight versus G5 teams when it's been, uh, been decided by seven points or fewer. So, uh, I, you know, th- this was a good win. And, and Kalani, we had him on our post-game show. Uh, you could see kind of the relief in his face. I mean, he was a little disappointed that, he didn't run him off the field, but you also see uh, some, some relief in his face. And he said, listen, the win's a win and we got to celebrate it. And I think there's a lot of truth to that because this is a team in the past. And like I said, during Kalani's era that has found ways to, to cop these games up. And, and it was nice to see him finally pull through. I mean, when they needed a solid drive, when he needed a game winning drive, they went 80 yards and, and drove down and took, I think, six minutes off the board uh, there in that fourth quarter. And, and they made a statement and punched it in for a touchdown. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, props to them for, for pulling through. Yeah, everyone thought they would smoke them, and, you know, the line was, I think, 34 and a half or something. It was some crazy number. Uh, and so they didn't obviously live, live up to the hype and what the expectations were, but ultimately they took care of business. And 
it's obviously much better to, to learn and to win uh, than to try to learn something and lost. So uh, they're 4-0. Obviously, the national riders uh, moved them up a spot, so they didn't take it. You know, they didn't care. They only won by seven. I think they, they realized how hard it is to win at the collegiate level, uh, and they were rewarded with the ranking. So uh, I think you put that game behind you, a lot of stuff to learn, and then you focus on a short week when you have to travel down to Houston and get ready for them. Yeah, I think that drive that you just referenced was really cre- key because it was like, all right, the game's in balance, let's get serious, and they got serious. And I don't want to say it was just a piece of cake, but they grind their way down the field and got the touchdown and gave them the separation, although the, if I remember correctly, UTSA did come back and score. But nevertheless, when they needed it, they got it, which is an important sign. One of the things, and you do the BYU TV work, and then Kalani will do his uh, post-game work, and then he talks uh, in terms of uh, media obligations, and then he talks Mondays. And it seems like now every time he's doing these forms of media that he's getting the question about the ranking and the hype. And, you know, he's a good dude, so he doesn't want to just say, would you guys shut up about that? But basically that's what he's saying because he doesn't want to talk about it, but yet you can't deny it that it's there. Uh, how do you think is this playing, what type of effect it's having on these guys in terms of are they excited about it? Is it becoming a little bit of albatross? What exactly do you see this ranking meaning in terms of the effect on the team? You know, we'll see as the season progresses and if they can keep winning and they keep moving up, how it affects them. I remember as a player, I think it had uh, the type of effect where I realized, okay, we got to defend this ranking. Right. I mean, the, everyone thinks we're this good. Now we got to prove that we are this good. And so it, it, it drove us to, to try to be better each week uh, and to focus. And I don't think we ever bought in and said, hey, listen, we can take today off because, hey, we're ranked 14th in the country. Right. I don't think that's any of these players' mindsets. I don't think, obviously, not the coach's mindset. Um, and so I think a lot of people get worried and say, hey, it's going to go to their head. And they're worried that they're going to think through all that and maybe overlook opponents. I don't ever think that's really the case. At least when I was playing, I def- we never looked at it that way. Um, I think it really is some motivation for you to go out there and prove the people right uh, that, that you are deserving of that ranking. But um, you're right. He's talked about it quite a bit. He's asked about it quite a bit. And the players are all saying the right things as well. Um, do I think they maybe overlooked UTSA a little bit in preparation for Houston? I would say maybe. I think they, when that line came out and they looked at the film, because on film, UTSA wasn't near as good as La Tech, um, and, and they're, especially on the offensive defensive line. Uh, but you look at Joey's offensive line against UTSA, and they struggled. I mean, Zach's numbers were still good, but he was getting flushed out of the quarterback left and right. Uh, they, they had some pressure, whether it be one guy or two guys. They usually have one guy coming loose. And so um, I think getting James Empey back, they're projected to get James Empey back to starting center this week, which will be huge because we know the center, he sets the line, and he, he sets which way they're going to slide and protect. And, and, and when you have a veteran guy like Empey that started for years there, that's a huge addition. So that should help a lot against Houston. Um, but, uh, you know, offensively, I expect him to get more on track, create more of a pocket, and give Zach some more time, like we saw in the first three games versus this last game. But, uh, like I said, Houston will be a much tougher task than what they've seen in these first four games. So I think that's what's exciting. I think, I think this game this week will tell uh, the whole country if BYU is a real deal or not. And I think everyone's kind of anxious to see uh, what the result is. So when you go back and look at the game, I'm curious about the O-line play because when the O-line's dominating, everything's easy. Were they yeah. getting beat by exotic zone blitzes? Were guys just getting beat one, just one-on-one? Were guys just getting confused with pretty simple stuff they ought to be able to handle, but still there's a level of confusion because there's some 
twist or stunt? What what was the problem? Yeah, from what I saw, it looked like there was some one-on-one uh, matchups that BYU just lost, and, and guys can be the point of attack. Uh, and, and you look at Houston, they had some big boys on that defensive line, uh, and and you know they had some speed on them, and, uh, and they took advantage of that with BYU. And, and once again, BYU – down a couple guys, uh, Tristan Hodge, and then, of course, uh, James Zippy, like I mentioned. So they've been trying to rotate guys in and out there at that position. Uh, but I think it kind of finally caught up to them. Uh, but once again, you look at the stat line, you only put up 470 yards of total offense and 178 of that of rushing. I mean, that's a, that's a big number, the rushing yards alone. So it's tough to critique them too much. But like I said, when you do go back, there were some breakdowns, which you didn't see in those first, four, you know, first three games. Uh, Zach really had all day, and he had a very clean pocket, and he could step into the throws and uh, you know make precision throws. But and I think that's why you also saw bigger explosive plays those first three games than you saw this last game. Um, but like I said, it's it's good to learn and to look at that film. And now the guys got a little bit of taste of how they have to block and not be lazy and and not get beat, right? And and that's something you can take on to this week's game. So. Uh, we'll see how they respond and how they rebound. Because I think offensive line obviously will be one of the biggest key indicators for this game against Houston. If they can, they can go out there and impose their will like they did in the first three games, and really the fourth game as well. Um, if, they, if they can run the ball, man, that sets up that play action pass for Zach. And he's with where he's at right now in his career, he's the ability for him to pick apart these defenses because of his understanding of the game uh, and then that connection he has with Gunnar Romney and Dax Mill. Uh, man, he's, he's pretty dangerous, uh, but I, I think he's got to have a clean pocket. If he's out on the run, it makes it that much more difficult to, to find his receivers. So uh, we'll see if that offensive line can produce. So we were talking about recruiting and how a number of the top stars in the state of Utah have been leaving. They've been not going to either whatever it's BYU, Utah, Utah State, Weaver, whatever, uh, you know, the high-level Division One programs that we have. And we're also talking about how if a kid is local – and he stays local, how it can set them up going forward. You're not a local kid. Obviously, you're an LDS kid, but you played in the NFL. You came back, and you've established your life and your business and your family here. Can you speak to a kid like you? You had a lot of name recognition by the time you were done and how that can pay off in the in the real life in terms of making money when you go back to the community where pretty much all BYU fans who know know who David Nixon is? Yeah, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, it's funny, I'm from Texas, my wife's from California, and we somehow ended up here in Utah. Uh, besides the fact that the weather, I, I love the weather, I actually like the cold, uh, the mountains. For, for me, going back to the weather, Texas is so humid and hot that Utah, I just, I love the dry weather. But uh, besides that, you're, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. BYU has a fantastic alumni uh, kind of association and program, and uh, BYU does a great job while you're playing that you're around a lot of these alumni and uh, you network and, and make these connections that you can lean on when you're done with your career. Uh, and I know Utah has the same. And, and I think what's great about Utah as a whole, especially the Salt Lake, Utah County area, is this, at the end of the day, it's still a really small community. I mean, especially population-wise. Um, and so I think uh, that allows for you to have some opportunities as a former athlete. Um, and even, even you know, with Utah players, I know a lot of Utah players have become president over the years. Um, in fact, Nate Orchard came in and, and did like a kind of job shadowed me, I think last year, a year before, uh, looking to get into the real estate, the commercial real estate business. So, um, I, you know, I, I think it's just kind of who, you know, we, we know that with business, right? It's not necessarily what you know, but who, you know, and, and I think sticking around and, and using your connections here locally, uh, can put kids in a, in a great spot. 
and listen, I think that's the same case. If you go down to A&M or Texas, I think the alumni program do a great job of reaching out to these student athletes. Um, and, and deservedly so. A lot of these kids put a lot on the line for their school and, and forego internships, right? I, I remember when I was at BYU and I was in a finance undergrad, all these kids were going off to New York and to San Francisco to do these summer internships to prepare them for, you know, their future jobs. And as athletes, you can't. You guys, you had to stick around and do, continue those off-season workouts there uh, on campus. And so you couldn't go get a big-time uh, internship programs elsewhere. And so it does put you behind the eight ball a little bit. And I think as a result, uh, the alumni do a great job of trying to compensate for that, reaching out and, and trying to help you when your time's over. So, um, yeah, no question that, that Utah's a great spot for it. And like I said, I think most colleges elsewhere are. Uh, but uh, it's it's been great staying here, being part of the Cougar family, and uh, enjoying those those connections. And so that Cougar family doesn't really want a Sun Devil rattling around uh, Hidden Valley, do they? I mean, you got to no. draw you got to draw no, a line. Don't, we we don't accept that riffraff down in, in Utah County. Well, wait a second here. We 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 both have, we have a common bond. We hate the Utes. <laughs> We're brothers. Oh, okay. Well, one o'clock tea time. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll see you at Hidden Valley next week, then, if that's the case. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thanks, David. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Take care. David Nixon, BYU TV football analyst and former Cougar linebacker. Coming up next, Riley Jensen, our college football insider. And Riley's branching out, PK. My, my, my. What an interesting turn of events. We will get to that next, and I'll enjoy it. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. When a team wins the title, usually you get a little bit of celebrating going on, and sometimes that celebration can turn bad. I don't know if you've seen the video of the guy with the fireworks box. It's a box about a foot and a half by a foot and a half, and it's got, I don't know, probably a hundred artilleries that launch out of this box. Somebody lit that on the concourse at the Staples Center, and then another idiot came over, and while that box was firing off artillery, picked it up and put it above his head. Like he's John Cusick and say anything. <laughs> Jason Pierre-Paul's like, bro, hey. maybe dial that down a little bit. <laughs> That's dangerous, as he points with his pinky. I get it, go celebrate, but we are in a pandemic and fireworks are dangerous. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to bring in our college football insider, Riley Jensen, he he joins us now on the T-Mobile special guest line, T-Mobile and Sprint, coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Riley, good morning. What is up? You, you global <laughs> superpower you. There is no end to the Riley Jensen conglomerate. Am I right? Oh, we're just trying to, we're just out here trying to hustle a little bit, you know? It's, you got to work while you wait for good opportunities to come. So that's all we're doing. So how yeah, right on, man. Every day we're hustling. <laughs> how's, Ster- <laughs> how's Sterling? Hey, how's that's Tanner? Like Kia. That's a Kia commercial, isn't it? Every day I'm hustling. <laughs> that's a Rick Ross song, man. One of my favorite oh. artists, Rick Ross. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, him. Oh, yeah, him. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. <laughs> Before we talk Rick Ross, which I'm sure we will do at length, <laughs> I would like to talk about Sterling, Tanner, and Ethan, and what kind of progress you're able to make with them. <laughs> dude, dude. I have no idea. Uh, who, are, who, are, who are they? I don't oh, know. Oh, now, come on, Riley. <laughs> Those are your it. creations, man. Own it. 
<laughs> you and PK may have had some fun at my expense. <laughs> well, yeah. But now, what, the what bread is being is, buttered. <laughs> what I'll tell you is that I've never, ever, ever had a problem with soccer players. It's always been soccer fans. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sometimes that sometimes annoyed me. I mean, for me, for me to pretend that that um, you know that I've always loved soccer fan is is a little bit tough for me. Um, but there's certainly some good things going on, and uh, our meetings so far with RSL have been very very exciting and exhilarating for me. So it's 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 a great opportunity. And I'm super excited about all the things that are going on with our company right now. So you're working with them with your consulting firm that you do explain what the goal is as you go in there. Well, I think one of the things that's important as a sports psychology consultant, and and, and this is true just in business or on teams, is we can't, we can't take an approach that there's a quick fix you have to play the infinite game rather than finite game. And when when you get into the business world, when you get into high-level professional athletics, it's all about winning, right? And, and if they don't win, then people lose jobs, people lose opportunities and those sorts of things. But if we can help to build processes, to focus on the day-to-day, to focus on being present, instead of being a time traveler that flies too far into the future with what ifs or flies too far into the past with woulda, coulda, and shouldas, and get them back to the moment by asking them asking themselves questions like what's important now and really coming back to the moment and focusing on what's in front of them because that's what they can control, then, then we're going to have better long-term success. Now, there's always going to be a few tools here and there that can help people immediately. Um, and we're having good meetings with coaches, with GMs, and those sorts of things right now to to put some some processes into place that are going to help them both in the short term and the long term. So I'm curious, just to apply the line of work that you're in now, and you're, you're in multiple lines of work, you're still a media superstar here, you got it all going on. <laughs> <clears throat> but when you see a team play the way BYU played, uh, there are people I know, especially the people who uh, loathe BYU and root against them here on the Wasatch Front, who are like, see, they're not that good, they're overrated. When I watch that game and I see how easily they move the ball on the opening drive, and I see how they were able to go down the field at the end and get a uh, touchdown when they needed it, and they were able to get a couple key stops when they needed it, I'm thinking the physical talent is there. I'm thinking the issues they had in that game were mental. There was a little focus, something went wrong, and for whatever reason, they lost their mojo and it really bugged them. And But just watching like the quarterback and the running back looked like they were running two different plays. That handoff was complicated. It almost didn't happen. What, that doesn't have anything to do with how good UTSA is or isn't. That's a separate debate. Uh, when you watch BYU, did you see a lot of that in that game? I, yeah, I, felt, I, I personally just felt like there was a little bit of lack of focus. Um, look, this is this is what happens with teams, right? Like, you start to play a little bit well. Maybe you read some of the clippings that are going on that you're really good, and you start forgetting kind of what got you there. And I think, to be honest with you, I think these kind of wins are really good for teams. Yeah, there's going to be noise outside of, of like what happened or what you really are and all those kind of things. But these are 
these are good wins for teams because they can learn a lot from them. I mean, I think I saw a quote from Isaiah Kafusi. He's like, I'm glad it's a short week. I can't wait to get back on the field and get back to work. Um, and by the way, he's a great leader for this team. He, he, he makes some incredible comments sometimes that I, I think show a tremendous amount of maturity. But what I would say about BYU is they, they maybe overlooked this team a little bit. They maybe had thought like, oh, we're, we're killing teams. Like all we have to do is show up and we're going to win games. And that's not necessarily true. And as the season goes on, people are going to make adjustments. They're going to see what your weaknesses are and they're going to try to exploit them. Now, as far as the handoffs go, and those sorts of things, like that's just to me, that's a lack of focus. That was just, you know, they're not they're not all the way there, or didn't didn't put in the focus and the energy that they needed to during the week to get there. But I think this win is super healthy for BYU because they're not going to take anything for granted at this point. They're going to realize that hey, I don't care whether it's UTSA or whether it's LSU or whether it's Alabama, we need to do everything we can to take care of the things that we can control, and I and I and I think it'll be a good a good thing for them. I don't think this is a reflection of at all of how good or how bad BYU was. When BYU played bad in the past, they got killed. I mean, they got beat by Toledo, they got beat by South Florida, they got beat by UMass, right? And I don't, I'm not bringing those up for BYU fans to feel pain, but don't get too caught up in the fact that they barely beat UTSA when they when they played ugly before they got killed now they're winning ugly so that's that's a huge step forward for this program in my opinion yeah excellent point we know they've lost a bunch of games they had no business losing in here could have lost and they went ahead and got it done I wanted to follow up uh, something we've been talking about here as far as uh, name recognition when you stay local in recruiting and we've seen a number of kids go out or uh, they've left the pro they left the state and and Oregon got has three commitments of high school kids and you're you're a local kid obviously you played locally and you know you went and you've got all the credentials and all the academic certifications that you're supposed to get to do the business that you're doing and that's great but I'm wondering how much did you benefit from the fact that you were a local kid, you made local connections go- growing up, and then you've done a lot of radio work, so your name, Riley Jensen's out there, you've coached ball, you run camps, you do all these things. How much, aside from all the academic stuff that you did and got yourself in the position to take advantage of your name recognition, but how important was the fact that your name was known in the community that has allowed you basically to flourish in these businesses that you've got going on? Well, I think that's I think that's actually a really good point, and I think that depending on where you want to live for the rest of your life, sometimes sometimes it does help that there's some name recognition. Now, I don't think um, I don't think that anyone that I talked to, uh, I, yes, I do believe that I went out and I worked hard, and I do believe that I've tried to to be kind to people and I've tried to be a good person in the community and the things that I'm doing and trying to help people out, but. For me, there's a tremendous amount of luck involved. I don't, I don't, I don't take it too seriously that I have all these credentials and that I'm just so amazing at what I do that people can't turn me down. I think the fact that you guys were willing to take a risk on me, out feels like 15 years ago. I think it was like 2003, 2004 that you guys, you know, let me let me on air with you as the Aggie under the bleacher. 
and um, built my name that way. Uh, there's been tremendous contacts that have come from being a salesperson out in the community and being able to just try to do the best that I can. I, I, I don't take myself too seriously. I think some of that has been definitely because I've been a local athlete and I tell local athletes that I work with at Utah State and Weaver State all the time, this will get your foot in the door. But don't ever forget that what, what you do after you get your foot in the door is going to be what keeps you there. And you can't, you can't be a schlep and just have your hand out and say, hey, I, you know, I played Utah State football. I played at Weaver. Like, hey, what are you going to give me? You've got to go work. But it's certainly I – mean, I mean, I think this point is very well taken, PK – it has certainly gotten me in a lot of doors that maybe I, I wouldn't have been in by playing quarterback at Utah State. Was that a little music to highlight that last little bit? Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> Yuck. Yuck. <laughs> he, he was trying to humiliate you with a drop, and instead suddenly the lights were flashed and the disco ball was spinning. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Golden years. He's a first team all whacker. There it is. <laughs> wow, stark contrast from the first little piece there, Yuck. I mean, I, you know, I wish we could keep track of all your mistakes so we could replay them all the time. <laughs> I'll never forget the look on Ryan Hatch's face when you said that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, he's a first took, team all whacker. It, prob- it took me. 10 to 15 seconds to realize what I'd said. <laughs> I had no idea that I had said. You know, I just seemed like, man, I mean, what's the big deal? What's everybody looking at me funny for? I didn't even <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> I will never forget the look on Pace Mannion's face. PK was on vacation, and Pace was filling in. And I tried to say a spectacular wreck. <laughs> <laughs> Monday mornings, they're the worst. I've made most of my drops on Monday morning, Charlie. Oh, my gosh. Spectacular think... rack. What? <laughs> With like, a spectacular rack. What? Tell me more. Pace <laughs> just looked up. His eyes got all big. There's white all the way in his eyes. Like, what are you doing over there? Well, there's somewhat of a relationship between those two drops. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> Why do I feel like Beavis and Butthead are laughing really hard? Right oh, they are. They <laughs> are. Fire! Yeah, fire rules. Yeah. <sighs> oh man! You know what though? It's you know it is what it is, and they're they're it's live radio, they're actually, baby. Stuff happens. They're still funny. They're still funny to oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> Even when I hear them, I'm just like, wow! How did that happen? I've how did said, that happen? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've said a lot of things to Pace over the years, and I've made him laugh, and he's made me laugh, but I don't think I've ever made him make that face before. <laughs> that was, that was, it's like, we're live on the radio, what are you doing? Anyway. All right, so did you watch much of that Houston game? Because uh, when you only have one game to go on with a team, you know, how much does that game say about them? How much does that say about their opponent? 
Yeah, that looked a lot faster than Tulane. That jumped off the screen at you. But what else should BYU be getting ready for in this one? Because it seems high stakes. I mean, the, the teams they've got, this is halfway through the season, assuming they play 10 games. And I know they might play 8 or 9, and they might play 11 or 12. So, But let's just go with what they got scheduled. This is halfway through the season. It's the best brand name they played. They're going to be on Friday night in primetime. They're ranked. Everyone's going to be watching. They're the only game going. So they got a chance to make an impression here. It could be a really good impression. It could be a really bad impression, but I don't know what to make of Houston, and obviously the competition matters. Well, I don't, I don't really know what to make of Houston. I watched a little bit of that game, not as much as I wanted to. I think the thing that stands out to me about Houston is there, there are enough athletes on that team that they can expose you if you're not fundamentally sound, right? And so there could be, I don't know, everything from a special teams play to a wide receiver taking a screen to the house, kind of like La Tech did against BYU, um, those are the things that you have to stay fundamentally sound. you got to run, you know, all 11 helmets need to be chasing the ball in the correct angles and all those sorts of things. And it, <clears throat> those are the things that make you nervous because if the university I, – I do think that BYU is the better team. I, I feel like, though, that if Houston gets a little bit of confidence early in this game, that it can make things difficult because – um, a team that's athletic, that's feeling confident about themselves, can can wreak all kinds of havoc. Now, does that mean that BYU is not athletic enough to handle it? No, but it always takes a team to win those big games where there's some serious athletes on the other side of the ball. There's just really good athletes from the Houston metropolitan area, the Dallas area, and those things that are that are playing for the University of Houston now. Do they play great team football all the time? No. But they have some flashes that that have to make you nervous and have to be difficult for you um, to handle as uh, or to think about as a BYU coach or a BYU player. And so it's going to take a team effort both on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. And then I would say the thing that I would worry about the most is you know, is is Hogue back? Is James Empey back? Are they are they healthy? Can they can they help you get back to that first game that was so dominating offensively? And I think that James Empey is more important to this offense than you think. He makes so many calls. He does so many things. He's such a veteran on that on that line. He's also a son of a coach, so he has a high football IQ and he can solve a lot of problems at the line of scrimmage that maybe people aren't thinking about. And I think he's a huge key to BYU being able to play well and to, to really make this run that I'm, I think all BYU fans are hoping they'll make. So we had on, we've been able to air the uh, media portions of Utah practice, right? And we had, uh, they, do the, they do the media before, we had on Cam Rising and Jake Bentley. And we go, you hear this all the time, two quarterbacks vying for one job, and a quarterback, one guy plays, and everybody else stands around and watches. But in that quarterback room, there's so much love, and they push each other, and they just want what's best for the team. Can we call bull on any of that? Because that's a guy you're competing with, and he's trying to take away what you want. Yeah, I call. I, I I listened to both of those interviews with you guys. I was like, "Bull crap, dude!" Okay. Yeah, you love him. You love you love him until he has your job. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's all great right now. Yeah, it's easy to be friends until 
I mean, this is called the storming phase of, of team dynamics, right? Where everybody's competing and jockeying for position. And then, and then you, that after you get through storming, you have to go through norming and accepting your role. And that's the hardest thing for a quarterback to accept is to accept his role on the bench with a green or a red hat on so they can see you signaling it in. I mean, that's, that's fun for a minute, maybe your freshman year as a quarterback, because you know you have time to win a spot. But I'll tell you what, if you're a junior or a senior, you don't want anything to do with that fluorescent hat. You don't even <laughs> want to see it. In fact, it gives you the heebie-jeebies. So I, I, call, I call a little bit of bull crap on that. Now, look, quarterbacks are smart. They're trying to be the CEO of the football team. They're trying to say the right things that their coaches want them to say. But I called bull crap. I, call, I was listening to it, and I was calling bull crap as I was listening to it. It's just like, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't have to hate the guy, but I guarantee you, you're not rooting for him to win the spot. And if he wins the spot, you're you're not rooting for him to get hurt. But if he does, you know, like, oh, man, sorry I had to step in and take this over. I mean, it's not like you're – and I think that's the hardest thing for a quarterback, especially the quarterback position because you're on the bench, is learning how to be the best player for your team instead of being the best player on your team. And that's a really hard lesson to learn. And most quarterbacks don't learn it. They transfer. So, I mean, it's it's tough. That's a tough position to be in. And I'm glad they're saying the right things, but I'm not buying You can go sell that somewhere else. <laughs> I'm okay with you guys lying, but I know you're lying. <laughs> exactly. Don't. I mean, look. Look. I, the thing that's funny about that is, is I know – that anybody that's played football and any of their teammates know that they're lying too. It's like it's like this great this this great fake news thing that's going on that everybody's okay with. And I'm like, why are we all okay with it? That's not true. <laughs> like, but it's really true. just it's really just that position. Maybe running back, um, but it's really just that position, right? Because at other positions you play more than one guy. Maybe tight end, I guess. No, nah, I mean I, I don't even think tight end or running back. I mean. If you look, if you look, there's not really a fe- there is a feature back, but like there's third down backs all over the NFL. So the the guy that's the main running back gets you know the first two plays, and then on third down he's out, or he gets the first three series and then he's out the fourth series. I mean, it, it's hard, it's hard to to think of another position where you're the feature player and really it's you or nobody. And I. And and look, quarterback's a difficult difficult position that way because I was just talking to someone yesterday about it, but I feel like the quarterback position, as much as we want to make it scientific and it's all about the reads and the X's and O's and one and two high safeties and are they in man to man and can I make the throw? Football playing quarterback is a little bit of an art too and a little bit of a feel, almost like a starting pitcher where you kind of got to get in the groove and you got to kind of find out what's going on with the defense. And it takes more than one or two series to have it all figured out. You got to feel, you got to feel it. And once you feel it and once you know what's going on, it can be a really, really fun position to play, but it takes a minute to, 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 okay, this is what they're going to do. This is how we're going to react. These are the things that I, that I, that I need to do to be successful. And there's a little bit of an art to it. And so that's why, that's why it doesn't feel like two quarterback systems ever work because if you're threatened that you 
you've got to be have it all going in that first series, or if you're alternating series, how do you ever get in a flow? How do you ever get into a state where you can play really good quarterback? I, I don't know, and that's why I just don't think there's been very many situations where the two quarterback system works. And so, really, one guy's going to play. And that's it. Riley, we appreciate the time. Good luck. Uh, good luck in your new relationship with RSL. Thank you. Thank don't blame you. me looking- if I find that entertaining. <laughs> hey man listen if Ethan Tanner and Sterling want to talk to me about the intricacies of the pitch um, I'm I'm glad to listen um, I'm probably still not going to believe you know some of the bull crap that they tell me <laughs> he's Riley Jensen he joins us every week he's our college football insider thanks Riley take care guys Coming up, Utah football availability today. Sharif Shah trying to rebuild the secondary. How's that going? We're going to hear from Sharif. We're going to hear from head coach Kyle Whittingham, linebacker Devin Lloyd. It's all on the way. Stay with us. Nothing else matters, fellas. Every day we go to work. Football is back, and the Zone Sports Network has you covered. As the Cougars continue to bulldoze through their schedule and the Utes and Aggies get set for the start of their season. You gotta go faster, faster! Nobody will bring you better coverage of your team than the Zone Sports Network. This is your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. Turn me up all day! 97.5-1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Join the Big Show Friday from 2 to 7 at the Warehouse. 18225 South, 300 West. That can't be right. Isn't that 1825 South? 1825. Yeah, I didn't think they were going down to that 180 second South location. 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom. All right, DJ and PK. PK, the discussion has raged on Twitter about uh, why are so many high school football stars leaving the state? It's clear trend. Uh, two out of three four-star kids leaving the state. Four of the top ten going to Utah, or three of the top ten going to Utah, two of the top ten going to BYU, Oregon scooping up three, three guys, four guys. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on. Every year the numbers change a little bit, but there's a clear pattern. Curtis says it's a simple answer. Uncle Phil and that Nike, and he's got a bag of cash. Yeah, you wonder what's going on. Bryce says, if you had a legitimate chance of making the NFL, why would you stay and play in Utah? Uh, that that the, makes no freaking Utes, sense. Because the Utes have a bunch of guys drafted, they Bryce? got 30 guys in the NFL right now. I think that's third in the conference. Uh, Tyler makes a good point. This isn't just a Utah problem. Look at every state out west. Their top players are usually going out of state. Cristobal is also a great recruiter. He's even pulling in top recruits from California. I did check a couple other states. I checked Washington and uh, Ohio State's getting one of their top players, um, Nevada's top player is going to uh, Oregon. Another top player well, is going yeah. to USC. Another guy is deciding between Nebraska and USC. Throw, throw, or, throw Nevada out of it. They, 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 uh, Colorado they has top kids going out of state all yeah, over the place. Yeah, but their pro- programs suck. Like we get Ari- that. Like Arizona schools. We get that their programs in Nevada and Colorado aren't any good. We already know that. Okay, but Washington... That, that, but the thing about Washington is that they're getting a ton of local kids, and I don't and I don't really follow Washington enough. So really, who cares about Washington? We care about our schools. 
So just I, I, I don't buy it. Well, it's happening everywhere. Okay, well, then then don't blame me. Okay, Oregon, the top kid's going to Oregon, but the second-ranked player is going to Oklahoma. And Oklahoma's really good. Yeah. That's my point. But the top kids are going everywhere in every state. There's nowhere where the local school is getting six of the top eight kids. I mean, there literally isn't. I can't find. Yes, there are in in Louisiana and Alabama, Iowa, (laughs) Iowa. Four kids to Iowa and four kids to Iowa State in the top ten. Iowa kids are staying home. It's something about the corn. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Kyle Whittingham, Sharif Shah, Yak is saying that they're going a little long, so we may not be able to squeeze all three in. But we'll hear from the Utes next as they get ready for their opener coming up with Arizona on November 7th. Kyle Whittingham, Sharif Shah on the way. Stay with us.